Hi guys, I hope you're doing great. I hope you're doing uh, amazing on this uh, Sunday morning and uh, things are looking good for you in your life and uh, God is working and active and that we're giving him everything we can in prayer, just trusting that the Lord will do mighty, mighty things. We're talking about when God steps in and what we want more than anything is for God to be a part of the whole of our lives, like to be engaged and involved and connected in everything that we do, that we are living lives that will honor the Lord God. And we want God to step in to our world and to our nation and to our communities and to our family and to our kids' lives. And we want God to step into our lives. It begins with us. Okay, we can't change anyone else until we let God change us. And when God begins to do that in us, then we can, we can be a ripple effect can go out and uh, impact other people. But there has to be ground zero and ground zero is your heart and my heart. And what we want most, what I want most is for God to step into my life and be active and be, be vocal that I can hear from him and that I will have ears that listen to him. And we're talking about how God stepped in and when he steps in, a whole lot of things happen in your life and around you and through you. And, and, and not all of it's like great answers to prayer. Sometimes God brings us or leads us through really rough waters. It's part of life. But he always promised that he will be with us in it. He never promised a rose garden, but he did promise to be with us. His presence will be with us in whatever it is that we face. So God stepping in isn't always rosy. Sometimes God stepping in is war or battles or struggles or storms, you know, or, or, or uh, you know, miraculous things will need to happen to get through it. And, and that's why sometimes God leads us into those situations so that we can see the glory of God and the power of God. We've got to trust and we've got to believe and hang on to him. When God steps in, the impossible happens. When God steps in, miracles. Miracles happen because he is a supernatural God and he can do incredible, incredible things. We've talked about the fact that God stepped in to creation. He stepped into the life of Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Moses, Joshua, the prophets. Last week we talked about the 400 years of silence that God stepped into and did a mighty work in. All through these people and all through other Bible characters and all through time, from the beginning of time, God has been very present. He isn't the God that wound up the earth and let it go and went off on vacation. He is very active in our world and in our lives and in the lives of those who want him to be involved. We cry out to God and God will respond. He will come and be a part of it. Today, what I want to talk about is this guy by the name of John. We know him as the baptizer or the Baptist. And God steps into John's life in a very, very powerful, impactful way. And John's ministry did not last long, but the impact of his ministry was tremendous. In fact, here we are talking about John today. That's pretty incredible. In 2,000 years from now, will they be talking about you? Or will they be talking about me? 
Like, who will they be talking about in 2,000 years from now? But here we are, 2,000 years later, and we're talking about John. The time of quiet preparation was over. Those 400 years of silence that weren't so silent that God was very active. Like a chessboard, everything now was in place when John is about to step into the scene or onto the scene. God would make his final push toward redemption, the redemption of our souls. All through time, God had been working, setting everything up, and now the moment was, was here that God was going to do a final move since the creation of time and the sin of mankind. Check out this chart. It's basically a Bible chart of from the beginning of time all the way into the New Testament period. And what we notice here is that there's a lot of Old Testament period time. All the way to this arrow is where Jesus and John are going to come onto the scene. So all of these years is God, from creation to Jesus, is God setting the stage, preparing his people, preparing the world for this final act of God, this final move of God. Every event, every prophet, every writing throughout all of time all pointed to this final move of God. It was all moving toward this redemption person that would come on the scene and bring hope to all of mankind. And his name would be Jesus. And John plays a key role in these final moments or this final period of time that we're now living in as well. If it were a football game, it would be the, the, the two-minute warning from this moment on. If it were a baseball game, it would be the ninth inning. If it, if it were a horse race, it would be the final stretch that John comes onto the scene and that we are now living in. But it's probably more like a chess match. And in just a few more moves, God will declare in the New Testament, and what we see God do, he is going to declare checkmate. And the devil will play right into God's all-knowing and all-powerful will. From the very first prophecy, all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, when God said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers because of sin, because the devil tempted Eve and Eve brought Adam into it and they sinned against God, they disobeyed God because of that sin. God is going to put enmity between the devil and the woman and between her offspring and, and yours. And he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This is the first prophecy all the way back in the book of Genesis chapter 3, Moses' writing, where God begins to point to a coming Messiah. And the devil would strike his heel but Jesus would crush his head. The Messiah would crush the devil in the end. But Satan would, would strike a blow to the Messiah and he would nail him to a cross. And he would, he would be mistreated and he would be abused. 
he would be mocked and laughed at. The Son of God, the very Creator in the flesh, would be humiliated among people that he created in his own image. That would be the blow that, that Satan would strike to the Messiah, to Jesus. But in the end, Jesus would win. Jesus would crush his, his head. All the way from that first prophecy, all the way through the Old Testament to the last word of Malachi that we talked about last week, where it says the great and dreadful day of the coming of the Lord. Malachi, just before that 400 year period, says there's going to come a day, the great and dreadful day of the coming of the Lord, that the Lord is coming. He's, it's still out there. It hasn't happened yet, but it's going to happen sometime in the future. Okay? And side note real quick. Last week we mentioned this passage out of Malachi. And it's interesting that he says the great and dreadful day of the coming of the Lord. Because for you and I, the coming of Jesus is our hope. It's like, right, like this is awesome. Jesus is going to come. Salvation is going to come. Hope is going to come. We're going to have a, a, a second chance at coming back into a relationship with God because Jesus is going to come and be a sacrifice for us. What, what does this mean, dreadful or terrible day of the Lord? It should be an awesome day when Jesus comes. Well, let me just say a word about this. Because I've, I've wondered about this, and maybe you have, maybe you haven't. But Great and Dreadful is about a couple things. First of all, it's about the coming of John. John and his message to repent, that the kingdom of God has come. And it's like, turn or you're going to burn kind of message. It's a, it's a, the time has come that you are going to have to make a choice. And John is like that sword that's going to say, now's the time you must decide whose side you're on. Are you on God's side or are you on, on the devil's side? Are you on your own side, the enemy's side? What team are you on? We talked about that, preached a whole long series about that. Get in the game. That's what the dreadful day of the Lord is, or terrible day of the Lord. It's this time where you are going to have to decide whose side you're on, and if you're on the wrong side, it's not going to be pretty. That's a dreadful moment for those who die not in the Lord. It will be a dreadful moment. Secondly, it's about the coming of the Christ, right? The final opportunity for Israel, God's people, to turn to the one that God had been preparing them for, for all these years. And if you don't get it, if you don't turn to Jesus, Israel, you are going to perish in your sin, and that is going to be a dreadful moment. It's about judgment through Jesus and salvation through Jesus. Again, it's time to choose. In this period of time, it's the great and dreadful day of the Lord when Jesus comes. Yes, salvation is here for all mankind. That's the good news. The bad news is if you don't choose Jesus, you are going to die in your sin and be separated from God for all of eternity. Not just for a few years on the earth, but for all of eternity. That is dreadful. The third thing is this. The foretelling of 
the destruction of the temple. For the Jews in Jerusalem, the temple was like it. It was it. It was like the, the holy city. It was Zion. And, and this was going to become the the great and dreadful day of the Lord would be the day that God sends his son to the earth and then the destruction of the earthly tabernacle because God does not dwell in, 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 in buildings made by man, but in us. He dwells in us. We are his temple. There is no sanctuary to go to. You are the sanctuary. You are the living sanctuary, the living temple of God, if Jesus is in your life. And so the temple, Jesus said uh, that not one stone would remain on another, referring to the destruction of the temple. Jesus even said during his ministry that this temple that you are looking at will be destroyed. And sure enough, Titus in 70 AD or somewhere in that neighborhood, Rome comes in and they completely demolish, this is after Jesus is gone, they completely demolish the temple and not one stone would remain on another. The dreadful day of the Lord is about the closing of the Old Testament chapter, that there would be a new period of time, a New Testament time, and the old would be gone and the new would come. The great and dreadful day of the Lord. That's what Malachi said. From, from Genesis to Malachi, all of it pointing toward Jesus. All of it pointing toward a day of redemption, a, a day that a new, a new covenant would be written for all of mankind. All of the Old Testament prophecy pointed to this time in the future that God would fulfill it all. And now, John the Baptist steps into the scene and the time had fully come. Just like the morning dew or just like this, this flower that blooms, the fulfillment of time had come and here it is. It is in full bloom. The Messiah would make his entry into the, the world, onto the planet. God would send his own son. All through time, through that time chart, God's been preparing it for thousands of years for that one moment that he would send his only son onto this planet to die for you and for me, to teach us about the ways of the kingdom of God and share with us the love of God and the grace of God, to give us that one last final hope that in him we can have life and outside of him there is only death. Think about that. Think about that. All of it pointing to the Messiah who would come. God sends Jesus to rescue you and me. I mean, that's God looking down on this planet and seeing the mess we're in, seeing how lost we are, seeing that sin has like separated us from him. And then God doing something about it for you and me that we could not do for ourselves. This is the miracle of miracles in sending his only son to die for you and I. Mankind's certain doom, our most certain doom for all of eternity is trumped by the coming of Jesus 
Christ. The hopelessness of the darkness is exposed by this great light from heaven that has come to the planet. The weariness of continual oppression is now comforted by Jesus beyond measure, the comforter. And our eternal destination is now looking brighter because this new chapter has come and God has set the stage for the Messiah, his only son, to enter the planet. The prophets have all spoken. The silence, those 400 years, has now passed. And we enter into this new period. It's the New Testament period. It's a new period. There's the Old Testament period, and there's the New Testament period. Somebody once said that the Old Testament is about being concealed, and the New Testament is revealed. And there's a lot of truth to that, because in the Old Testament, we see a lot of likens to. Like, this is what it will be like when the real comes. This is just a shadow, like the foretelling of something that is, that is going to happen at some point in the future. And so all of the, the goats and the blood and the sacrifices and the temple and all the rituals and all the religious stuff that they did were just an image, not the reality. They were just an image of what was to come in the Messiah. And so the New Testament is Jesus coming and it is now revealed that it's the true temple. It is the true Messiah. It is the true blood that can forgive sin, not the blood of goats and bulls that can never forgive sin. And so this New Testament period comes. And the shadows and the lichen twos and the images that are not original are now gone. And the New Testament period is one that would fulfill all of the Old Testament truths and arrows and, 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 and events, all that the prophets spoke about, all that God did through his chosen people, Israel, would now be fulfilled in this one that would come in the New Testament, a testament of the fulfillment of the coming of the Messiah and the Christ, a covenant, a covenant God would make with people, all men, all women, not a temporary covenant of, that involved tents and, and altars and bricks and mortar and the sacrifices of animals, but a covenant in the precious blood of his only begotten son, Jesus. The reality of salvation. The true and the one and the only, once and for all, who would lay down his life for the sins of the world. Jesus. And so we enter this New Testament period after these 400 years of silence and the curtain kind of like draws open. It's, it's like it's like the curtain closed and it was closed for, for a while. And now God is ready to make his final move and that curtain opens up and in steps, you got it, John the baptizer. John. John the Baptist. He's right on cue, exactly how God laid it out and planned it. He is, John is fully like energized. He's fully charged with courage and confidence and power and truth and a voice. Nothing more and nothing less than what you and I have in Christ. And John made a huge impact on the world. 
And we have exactly what John had in him. The Holy Spirit powerfully living in us. And John makes a big mark on the earth. His entry, John's entry, is a lot like Jesus' entry, his cousin Jesus, right? Uh, the entry was about the same. Angels appeared to both parents. John's parents, Elizabeth and Zechariah, and Jesus' parents, Mary and Joseph, about the birth of their sons, John and Jesus. John is born six months earlier than Jesus. Both grow up strong in spirit with wisdom in favor of man and God, powerful, growing, maturing. John grows up in the Judean wilderness out there in the sticks, in the weeds, in the dirt. And, Je and Jesus, Jesus is taken to Egypt, remember, to escape to escape the brutal murder of the babies during his birth time, when Herod wanted all the baby boys born in the last three years to be executed. And Jesus, Mary and Joseph take Jesus to Egypt to escape that. Sometime later after that and Herod dies, Jesus returns back to Nazareth around the Sea of Galilee. And that's where Jesus is going to grow up for the next 20, 30 years. John, 30 years later, is going to make his public entry into the world. And when John makes his public entry into the world, all the Gospels talk about John's ministry and what John did. John did not live a long time. When his ministry began, it was short-lived. But his public ministry was powerful. And what we're going to do is touch on those uh, passages, some of those passages of Scripture in all the Gospels that point us to this guy, John. So allow me to share four truths of how God stepped in through John the Baptizer. <laughs> Great guy, John. First thing is this. Number one, John the Baptist proclaims the final chapter. He's the one who steps onto the scene that God said would step onto the scene. And he is the one that's going to proclaim that this is the final chapter. The Messiah is here. The time has come. The final days are now ushered in. And John is going to be the, the mouthpiece, the billboard to let the world know that that is exactly what is happening. And so in your harmony of the gospel, some of you asked me for one and I sent you one. Uh, but if you have this, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all talk about John's entry, or at least the very beginning of John's ministry, or his, his life. And I'm going to read a little bit of this. I don't know if you could see it or not, but let me go with uh, Matthew, Matthew's passage right here. They're very similar. There's a few things that they point out that the other does not. But here's what it says. Now, John himself had a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt. Um, hang on. Oh. I'm backwards. Time out. So here's one, two, three, four, five, six. So I'm, I'm upside down. Let me go. Now in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I'm down here. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah to the prophet, saying, Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way for the Lord. Make his paths straight. Now John himself had a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt about his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem, 
was going out to him and all Judea and all the district around the Jordan, and they were being baptized by John in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. And so here's this glimpse of John coming onto the scene, what John is like and what John is doing and how now John is fulfilling what the prophet said and the prophet being Isaiah. There's a little part here in verse uh, verse 4 in Mark. Mark says, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And, and Luke includes in his passage a little longer part of, of Isaiah, uh, the prophet. He says, every raven shall be filled up, every mountain and hill shall be brought low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough roads become smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. And so what we have here is this the beautiful passage in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, talking about John's entry into the world, what he's doing, who he's about, and what he's about. He's preaching in the wilderness a repentance for the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And it's time to turn. It's time to change your ways and turn because the Lord is now here. Prepare the way for God, right? This is the one that we have been waiting for. John's message is to all of Israel. This is the one that we've been waiting for all of the Old Testament period. Those 400 years of silence, God has now moved his final act, his final movement, and the Messiah is come as a nation, as a nation. This is the one we've been waiting for through the silence. This is the one we've been waiting for. The Messiah has come. John John's wardrobe was a bit interesting. He wore camel's hair, not, not a soft, you know, well-done, tanned camel's hair, but a very rough-looking one, kind of like is believed that Elijah wore, because John is that Elijah that has come. We'll see that here in a minute. But he wore this camel's hair. It was very prophet-like, like, uh, like Elijah, and his diet was, was a poor man's diet. John ate locusts and wild honey. Now, the meat of his diet was locust. That's a meat, right? It's not a vegetable. It's a meat. And so dried out, sun-dried on rocks, whatever, dried out, dipped in honey, and that's what John ate. A very humble, poor, simple lifestyle that John lived. Very poor, very humble, with nothing, basically nothing. John is the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. God has made his final move on the planet toward the redemption of mankind. It's upon us. Prepare the way for this final move of God. You know, Jesus and John both lived very humble and simple non-materialistic lives on this earth. And you and I, we would do really, really well to note that. To note the simplicity in which our Messiah, our Christ, our Lord and Savior lived. Humble and not attached to the stuff of this world. 
That's something we need to really, 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 really consider. Number two, John the baptizer calls out corruption. God steps into his life and he calls out the, the corruption. That's what prophets do. They see injustice, they see political corruption, and they speak against it in the name of God, for the truth of God. In Matthew chapter uh, 3, the scripture says this, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, so picture that, John is at the Jordan River, he's baptizing people, and now here come the religious leaders. He says to them, You broad of vipers. That is not a compliment. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? <laughs> like, what are you doing here? You bunch of hypocrites. Then he says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. If you're going to come here and you're going to be baptized for repentance, then your life needs to match it. Okay? And do not think that you can say to yourselves that we have Abraham as our father. Like we're gonna we're gonna pull the Abraham card out. You know, people like to pull cards out these days and they throw that card in your face and they accuse you of whatever because of this or that or whatever. And that's what that's what these religious leaders did. Oh, we have Abraham. There's the Abraham card, he's our father. And John says, I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. He doesn't need you. The axe, the axe. This is tough. The axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Get that, man? That's tough. These are the religious leaders and people in authority. And they're coming out to be baptized by John. And John's like, yo, you better think twice before you come out here and just go through some ceremonial thing. Because this is not about ceremony anymore. This is about a real life breathing a relationship with the God of all creation who has sent his son and the kingdom of God is here and there's no more playing around with this stuff. We're not going to play church anymore. And John's very firm. And he says it like it is, man. The axe is laid at the root of the tree. And if you aren't on the right side, you're going to get chopped down and thrown into the fire. In chapter 11 of Matthew, verses 7, uh, 7 through 15. Check out what, what uh, Matthew says. He says, And John's disciples were leaving. Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. And this is what Jesus says about John. Check this out. What did you go out into the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. Those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare the way before you. I tell you the truth, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. For all of the prophets in the law prophesied until John, all of those prophets of the Old Testament, all the way up to John the prophet. And you, and if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. 
He who has ears to hear, let him hear. That's pretty cool, isn't it? That's Jesus saying about that's Jesus saying about John the Baptist. His ministry was that of preparing the way for me, Jesus. He says, and what did you go out there to see? Did you go out there to see some rich guys, some show? Did you go out there to be entertained by the Jordan River, what John was doing? Is that what you went out there to do? This is later, obviously. See some rich dude? No, you didn't go out there to see some rich dude. You went out there to see a prophet, a true prophet, proclaiming the truth of God and the kingdom of God and preparing the way for the Messiah. The greatest, Jesus, the greatest prophet ever. John the Baptist. And in John chapter 6, verse 18, John called, called out Herod in front of people for having his adulterous relationship with his brother's wife. And that, that calling out of Herod's evil or sinfulness is what got John thrown in prison, which then led to John's death. <laughs> See, when God steps in to John's life, John calls out the corruption. That's what John does. He, he, he's the final chapter. He's the proclaimer of the final chapter. He's the one who calls out the corruption. And third, John the baptizer, when God stepped into his life, he points to the Christ. That's what John's life did. It just kept pointing to Jesus the Christ, like all of the prophets, another arrow pointing to the one that was to come, Jesus, the coming of the Messiah. In Luke, we've seen Matthew, we've talked about Mark. Luke chapter 3, here's what it says. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. We already know. So the people, they're waiting, the silent period, the people are still waiting on God to send his Messiah. They knew that the prophet said he would come one day. And even though 400 years had gone by, they're still waiting expectantly for the Messiah. And they thought John might be him. And John says to them, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, whose straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. John's baptism, baptism was one of repentance to prepare the way for the Lord. Our baptism in Christ is into the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus that we receive the Holy Spirit, right? And we're forgiven of our sins. John wasn't doing that. John was preparing the way for that to happen. His winnowing fork, John referring to Jesus, his winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor. I love that, don't you? And to gather the wheat into the barn, to clear the threshing floor, to, to separate the sheep from the goats, like to, to, to drain the swamp, like to get all the corruption and the junk out, right? And he's going to gather the wheat, the good stuff, in his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. John proclaimed judgment to come. John proclaimed this unquenchable fire that the Messiah has now come and his sandals, John says, I'm not even worthy to touch. I'm not worthy to untie. Incidentally, incidentally, your life and my life 
like John's life and the prophet's life and every other believer that has ever come before us, our lives are to be arrows pointing toward Jesus. That's what your life is supposed to do. Your life is supposed to point people to Jesus. As high of a calling or order as that might sound like, that is our honor and our privilege to be people on the planet that when the world and others see us, they see Jesus living in us. They see his grace. They see his compassion. They see his love. They see his truth. They see, they see Jesus in control of your life and you are living completely for him, just like John did. The Apostle John's gospel, he wrote about, he wrote about, um, about Jesus and, and what Jesus had to say about John in John 3, 22. But I want to skip to verse uh, 27. To this, John replied, A person can receive only what is given him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I am sent ahead of him. This is John speaking about the fact that he is not the Messiah. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom uh, the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete. So John is saying, I have come. I am preparing the way. The Messiah has now come and he is now, he is the focus. He is in the spotlight. And John says, he must become greater and I must become less. And so John's going to decrease in popularity and Jesus is going to increase in popularity and in Matthew chapter 17 verse 10 the disciples asked him why then do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first Jesus replied he's going to clarify this for us again Jesus replied to be sure Elijah comes and will restore all things I tell you Elijah has already come and they did not recognize him but have done to him everything they they wished in the same way the son of man is going to suffer it at their hands so the same people that Jesus is going to suffer on so, uh, the Elijah the Elijah the likened Elijah that that already has come they, he suffered at the same hands of the same people Jesus will. Then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. And so there's this beautiful, beautiful uh, understanding that, that, that Jesus, Jesus clarifies that this Elijah that was to come is very much John the Baptist, the one who came to set the stage for Jesus, to prepare the way for him. Another arrow in the long line of prophets, all pointing to the Messiah. But John the Baptist now is the one who's going to live in the same generation, six months birth different, and he's going to actually baptize Jesus, and he's going to be the one to have a very close relationship with Jesus as a prophet. And so God steps into John the Baptist's life and John is another arrow pointing toward Jesus. The last thing is this. John the baptizer, when God steps into his life, he goes to his death full of faith and full of testimony about, John, about Jesus. John is arrested by Herod for speaking the truth and proclaiming the kingdom of God. Remember, he pointed out Herod's sin, and Herod did not like that, for Herod himself had given orders to, John, to have John arrested. 
He didn't want to. He liked John. And he had him bound and put in prison. He did this because Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, whom he had married, uh -huh, for John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him, but she was not able to because Herod feared John and protected him, knowing him to be a righteous and holy man. Did you see that? Herod, Herod feared John and protected John the Baptist, knowing him to be a righteous and a holy man. That's Herod's attitude toward John was very good, but his brother's wife that he was now his wife that he took from him she did not like John because he's pointing out their sin when Herod heard John he was greatly puzzled yet he liked to listen to him finally the opportune time came on his birthday Herod gave a banquet for his high officials and the military commanders, high leaders and authority people and when the daughter of Herodias not Herod's real daughter, but her daughter, came in and danced. She pleased Herod and his dinner guests. King, the king said to the girl, ask for anything you want. I'll give you anything you want, up to half of the kingdom. And he promised her on oath, whatever you ask for, I will give you up to half my kingdom. And she went out and she said to her mother, Herodias, what shall I ask for? The head, And she said, the head of John the Baptist. Like, you can have anything up to half the kingdom. That's a lot of stuff for Herod. And she says, no, 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 no. I know exactly what I want. I want the head of John the Baptist. And so at once the girl hurries off to, to the king with her request. I want you to give me right now the head of John the Baptist on a platter. John's head on a platter. And so John is eliminated from the scene. And this, this passage, Mark 6, Matthew 4, Luke 9, this is all the retelling of it. So the actual event of John being executed and going to prison happened a year or so earlier. This is, this is a retelling of it. This is not exactly in the... Harmony of the Gospels is not when it actually happened. It's just a retelling of what happened to John in the past. And so John's probably been in prison for a year. And then he's dead. And now this is sometime later. And so John's ministry, if you add it all up, Jesus' ministry lasted three years. John's ministry probably only lasted about a year, maybe a year and a half at the most. And it was over. Like he came on the scene loud and proud, proclaiming the kingdom of God, calling out sin, right? Pointing to the Christ, faithful, living testimony to God, and boom, his life ends because of the truth that he spoke about the kingdom, right? John, God steps into John the Baptist's life, and John goes out with honor and courage as a testimony to Jesus, a powerful, powerful punch for the kingdom of God. John's impact on the world was great. John the baptizer, John the Baptist. You know, that's not his, his last name. I gotta love that title, John the Baptizer, right? It's not his last name. John's last name isn't Baptizer, okay? But this is what he's known for. 
right? John is known for being a baptizer, which should make us all ask ourselves this question. What are you going to be known for when you leave this planet? Like when you leave here, you check out. What are you going to be known for? What are people going to remember you for? For what? You know, there's a lot of people who go after all kinds of stuff to be remembered by. Most of the time, it's evil. You got people shooting people in schools. You got people blowing up buildings. All because they want to be famous, right? They want to be remembered for something. Everybody wants to be remembered for something. If you care enough about life, you want to be remembered for something. So the question is, what are you going to be remembered for? John, he's going to be remembered for being the baptizer. He's the one who led the way. He prepared the way for Jesus. That was his purpose. He knew it. He was called to it. He did it. What are you going to be known for when you leave this earth? Are you going to be like Bob the Builder? Bob the Builder. That's not his last name. That's what he did. Or how about this guy, Mean Joe Green? <laughs> okay. You want to be known as Mean Joe Green? What are you going to be known for? Like, how are people going to remember you? What are you going to do with your life that's going to make an impact on the world? If you want to make an impact on this world, not everybody does, but if you want to make a positive impact on this world, then I would encourage you to do what John did. Let God step into your life and discover your purpose and then go and do it. So that when you check out of here, you are remembered for fulfilling your purpose in this world. That you aren't just some another person who was married to somebody. You're not just another person who just made some money, but you are a person who invested your life in the kingdom of God and you left an impact on this world and the world will remember you for being a person of God who fulfilled their purpose. God bless you guys. Have a great day.